following lecture by English professor Jerome McGann was recorded July 6, 1993 as part of the activities during Rare Book School at the University of Virginia. Good evening. Um, I, there are two or three presentations that are associated with uh, this project that I'm working on and I wasn't quite sure what would be best for you all and I hope that this I made the right choice tonight. The um, handout I'll be using as we move uh, through the uh, presentation, so you'll you'll need it. And there'll also be some uh, uh, pictures up on the wall. The single most important tool for literary study is unquestionably the critical edition. It is a very ancient date, but about 200 years ago was remarkably improved by certain mainly German scholars of classical and biblical texts. Organized within the codex form, the critical edition has had to adapt its intellectual goals to the physical constraints of the book. Two moves are essential. First of all, abbreviation. A complex set of codes have had to be developed in order to represent textual materials in abbreviated forms and connect them to each other for various analytic purposes. Second, retranscription. The original textual materials have to, had to be translated into alternative textual forms if the scholar wishes to operate on them, that is the originals, in critical terms. Now, recent advances in computer technology have radically altered this anciently based scholarly situation. It is now possible to redesign this basic tool of literary and historical studies, the critical edition, within computerized environments that are not subject to the limits of the codex or book form. The Rossetti Archive is being developed as a model for the design of this new tool. Precisely because the archive is not itself a book, it is able to establish itself in a position that theoretically supervenes the textual and bookish materials it wishes to study. This supervention has never existed before. Computers, of course, have been used in scholarly editing in recent years with notable success. Properly structured, such editions greatly facilitate textual search and analysis operations, and they can also improve editorial accuracy. Furthermore, if the edition is organized as a hypertext, many other traditional editorial functions can be performed with vastly increased speed and flexibility. The Rossetti Archive designs a model for scholarly editing that exploits the powers of electronic textuality. It is, on the one hand, a general model for computerized editing and data management, and on the other, an edition, or really better called an archive, of Rossetti's imaginative works, prose and poetry, painting and drawings, and original translations. The archive proposes a complete edition, or archive, of all the writings and pictures of the late 19th century English poet and painter Dante Gabriel Rossetti. He's been chosen for this project, partly because of his great cultural importance in two media, partly because no scholarly edition, no critical edition, of his works has ever been done, and partly because his works lend themselves perfectly to the development of the editorial model envisioned here. The surviving documents are rich and numerous. The materials are very complex. Most important, close interactive relations exist between the various works in the two broad media that Rossetti used, that is, textual and visual. The complexity of Rossetti's works, their extreme instability and transformational character, can't easily be represented, much less analyzed, within a typographical format. For example, Rossetti typically worked and reworked his poems and pictures in the most minute fashion. For the poems alone, dozens of textual states survive, many carrying complex revisions and alterations. And these revised documents stand in often labyrinthine patterns of relation to each other. Constructing a codex-based critical edition, even of Rossetti's poetry, is therefore a daunting, perhaps even an impossible task. Given the nature of the materials, we decided to begin our work with Rossetti's 1870 poems. Contain that is a single book, it's called Poems, it's published in 1870. Containing, as it does, the first extended printing of Rossetti's masterwork, The House of Life, this book represents the core of Rossetti's poetry, and it locates, as well, in the Sonnets for Pictures section, 
It's divided into three sections, the last of which is a 34-page unit called Sonnets for Pictures. A crucial instance um, where the interrelations of picture and text are dramatically executed. In addition, the 1870 poems focuses a textual history that is extraordinarily thick with materials and structurally convoluted. The initial book went through a process of production that is, for sheer complexity, probably unrivaled in the annals of all of English literature. In this respect, the book comprises a paradigm for all the editorial and textual issues that Rossetti's work involves. We therefore determined to develop our initial test model for the structure of the archive out of a particular subset of texts drawn from this particular book, the Sonnets for Pictures section. We also used several other works of the 1870 poems, The Blessed Damozel and Certain of the House of Life Sonnets, to elaborate the initial model and test its capacity for larger scale operations. As exciting as a hypertext model for editing may be, the drawbacks of computerized editions have been equally apparent. A book, for example, gives a far more efficient and complex textual experience than a typical computer screen. Furthermore, the high-speed search and analysis operations of computers, which is their chief source of textual power, have to this point been helpless with original documentary materials. Manuscripts, primary printed texts, and other graphic documents like paintings and drawings are the basis of all criticism and scholarship. This material can be reproduced in digital facsimile form now at good resolutions. Nevertheless, such electronic images are, or have been to this point, electronically unreadable. They are pretty pictures, but from a competition, computational perspective, they are dead on the screen. Closed books. The innovation of the Rossetti Archive is to overcome this fundamental limitation of computer technology. With the Rossetti Archive, we are building a scholarly edition that is not only hypertextually organized, its computer structures work directly with the digitized facsimiles of the primary documents. The archive will be a collection of electronic facsimiles, full color as needed, of every manuscript, every proof, every printed text, painting, and drawing by Rossetti. All of these materials, about 15,000 uh, digital images in the initial phase of the project, will be hypertextually connected to each other and to a related set of critical materials notes and commentaries. Um, this is a typical example of a, uh, a document in the archive. You will have to forgive the images here that are going to be thrown up on the screen. Actually, the, the same set of images that I'm going to be putting up on the screen here, I'm putting them here because we're going to have some color images, and I was hoping that you'd be able to get a good sense of the color. As it turns out, the color stinks. So, but. These images that you'll see on the screen are all in that packet that I've uh, supplied for you, and we'll be talking about them as well. And the whole structure will be open to full electronic search and analysis. It's a research tool that integrates critical editing, facsimile editing, and electronic editing in a single network of scholarly operations. The project therefore fulfills what Peter Robinson of the Oxford Tech Center in his essay, Refining Critical Editions, called for. One can now conceive an electronic edition in which the texts are linked both to manuscript images and transcriptions, and to dictionaries, concordances, and indices by links that fashion themselves anew according to one's need. As Robinson goes on to say, however, although there has been much talk about these kinds of editions, as yet no such edition has actually appeared or been begun. The conception described by Rossetti will be realized in the Rossetti archive. The principal hindrance to the construction of such a scholarly model lies in the electronic digitized images, which, as I've already noted, to this point have not been able to be read electronically. If original documentary materials are present, are presented in the uh, uh, in the uh, hypertext, for example, in Landau's Dickens Web. Uh, uh, developed up at Brown, or in the electronic edition of Thoreau's Walden, which is under development right now in uh, California. These materials are either translated out of their original archival state into machine-readable forms, or they appear on the computer screen as simple, non-readable images. 
The user may be allowed to see various original documents. The electronic facsimiles can be called up, but these materials exist in the network as illustrations to a textual center of interest that is not the archive of original facsimile documents, but a machine-readable equivalent. In this respect, these projects follow the pattern established by earlier editors who translate original documents into modernized typographical equivalents. As with computerized editions, these critical editions either alter and manipulate the original documents for various analytic purposes, or they use facsimiles as illustrations within the otherwise interactive electronic environment. What I have in mind here is any uh, critical edition that you might pick up where you have the reading text, below the reading text, the complex uh, apparatus, and then various other editorial materials scattered around the book in one way or another and connected in one way or another by systems often quite elaborate and often even almost unreadable uh, systems of code to uh, manipulate and put these various materials together. In the present case, we'll be storing digital images of all Rossetti's manuscripts, proofs, and original editions, excluding the letters, for reasons I won't go into right now, as well as his paintings and drawings, plus images of any related materials by other writers and artists for study as facsimile graphic images, and the archive then integrates them for, first of all, complete electronic search and analysis, and secondly, a complex hypertextual organization that connects the documents to each other and to a large body of other related documents. Um, this is an example of three documents. Um, the, on the left is a small notebook. On the right is another small notebook. In the center below is Jane Morris's uh, copy with, uh, with uh, Rossetti's uh, revisions of the sonnet on the sonnet. Um, a sonnet is a moment's monument, memorial from the soul's eternity to one dead deathless hour. Over here, a sonnet should be a moment's monument. That's probably the first textual moment of existence of that particular poem. Over on the right there, in the lower half of that particular manuscript, uh, manuscript a sonnet is a moment's monument, a medal struck to all eternity for one dead, deathless hour. Forgive the lousy image. The image actually on the computer screen is, uh, is quite sharp and crisp. And in, in your handout, uh, the, these images are there, and you can see them even better in, uh, in, the, in the particular handout. Uh, that particular handout is on page 21, and on page 22, as well, is another uh, example of uh, the sonnet on the sonnet. In addition to these kinds of documents, there'll be a large body of other related documents, contemporary, historical, literary, and artistic materials, subsequent scholarly materials of various kinds, editorial commentaries and notes, and so forth. The Rossetti Archive thus develops a computerized model for studying texts whose original physical condition is an essential feature of their textuality. To some extent, the original documentary state of texts is always relevant, but with certain works, it's crucial. For instance, with William Blake's and Emily Dickinson's work, or with a great many medieval works, or with a vast number of works produced from 1880 to the present when book design became a conscious, expressive feature of literary production. Now, we believe the construction of this editorial model represents a major advance in the theory and practice of scholarly editing. Synthesizing traditional editorial methods with computerized resources, it frees the scholar from many inhibiting limits of the codex form. For example, the need to focus on a single text or version at the most parallel, and the need to work with complex systems of coding and abbreviation when relating multiple versions of texts. The windowized environment, what I mean by that is each one of these images that you see here is being drawn, drawn up into the computer screen in a, a window. Uh, and as we have structured this particular um, uh, archive, you can see up in the right-hand corner, that's what's called a virtual desktop. Uh, what it is, is a small image of the area that the screen can show to you from a set of nine options. I'll move over here. If you imagine one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, 
Each one of those nine squares here is this screen, possibly. So that you can make this screen be this area or this area or that area as you like. Which is sort of like having your desk sort of scattered with, uh, in nine different sections and you'll go to that section, that section, pull the materials off and so forth. And each of, of course each of these sections then can have a number of windows They can be cascaded as they're shown here. So there's a, a great deal of material that can be uh, made available to you even within the gross and uh, hopeless limit of uh, this particular screen. We hope within maybe 10 years these screens will be far more um, user-friendly, uh, powerful, whatever. And down the road somewhere is virtual space, we hope. In addition, the formal electronic organization of the Rossetti Archive has been so conceived that when virtual reading spaces are developed for regular use, the Rossetti Archive will be transportable to those environments. Now I'm going to get into the design of the system, and I hope uh, I'm able to keep everyone awake here, and I hope I can keep my narrative clear. It was apparent from the beginning of the development of the Rossetti Archive that we did not want to commit ourselves to a particular hypertext system. Available systems are just not flexible enough at the moment to provide the proper framework for the archive. In particular, none of the systems now available are designed for the intensive use of digital images that are central to this project. So our initial goals were first to gather a significant body of materials in electronic form and second to develop a rigorous structure for organizing and classifying these materials. We then use or develop tools in a so-called X-Windows environment, uh, that's a Unix system, to add access functions to the archive, ultimately leading to an integrated modular system that implements the complete concept. A modular approach to the design of the system will allow us to exploit existing academic and commercial software tools wherever possible and to concentrate our efforts on developing specialized tools that will extend scholarly opportunities into new area and I'll be talking about one of those today. Obsolescence becomes a much more manageable problem in a modular system as any piece of the system can be replaced without disrupting the whole effort. When we have completed preparing a useful fraction of the data, we will immediately be able to use it with the Pat Motif program. This program provides an accessible and friendly front end to use the extremely efficient search algorithms from the Pat program developed in Canada at the University of Waterloo. Using this program, we'll be able to provide sophisticated keyword searching capabilities for the archive, allowing us to locate information structures and to export them to other applications for further processing. Those of you who are familiar with the online OED will understand the usefulness of the Pat Motif and Lecter programs. Requests to display images that have been located using Pat Motif will be sent to an image tool that is currently being developed called STO, see-through overlay window. This is a device entirely of our own design and is a key tool for computing with digital images as we're imagining it. It's essentially an annotation mechanism for digitized images. It takes the form of an electronic overlay that constructs an electronic map of each document, page, or picture. Computer links are embedded in the electronic overlay as desired. These links are mapped to information on the original document or digitized image, and they connect the document and its information with other related documents. If you imagine a, uh, uh, a transparency being laid over this, electronic transparency, that transparency being then electronically mapped, uh, and each area then being keyed to certain materials here, those areas then can be the navigational links to take you across to related materials, for example, commentaries on individual lines, on revisions, and so forth. Whereas otherwise, these things couldn't be uh, accessed in that way. The electronic overlay window organizes two basic types of annotation. References, which connect the document with other documents that share the annotated feature, and notes, which connect the document to prepared commentaries and criticism.
So there'd be, you can imagine an annotated overlay with this. These are three texts of the Blessed Damozel. Uh, there's the 1856 text in the middle, the 1850 text over there, and this is the only surviving manuscript to give, once again, this horrible image. Um, all these three documents will, there's another um, relational system that I'll talk about in a minute, SGML markup. But right now, what I want you to imagine is that an overlay would be able to be laid over these documents here, each one, and uh, the common features of them will be linked from one to the other through the links that are embedded in the overlays. So, it displays a high-resolution digital image and allows the user to shrink and enlarge the image to zoom in on details and display images side by side on the screen. More importantly, so that what I could do here, for example, is cut out this particular image here, throw away these two, or set them in the background, and then just blow up this particular area here if I wanted to look at, uh, at the uh, initial here or any of the particular features, or any, any area of this could be um, made the, uh, the primary object of attention, and then the annotations of what that uh, are connected to that primary area of the material can be connect can be uh, set in motion, and we can navigate across to other related materials. Let me give you an example. Right here is um, what we're looking at is a blown-up image of the 1856 Blessed Damozel text, one of the, the one on the right that you saw uh, just previously. And what we have here in the background is a uh, SGML-marked um, copy of exactly that uh, text there, Blessed Damozel 1850 text. This, by the way, is invisible, and I'll be talking about um, uh, how that operates in, in, a, in a moment. Stowe is currently under development at University of Virginia's Institute for Advanced Technology and Humanities, which has been the initial sponsor of the Rossetti Archive. A working model will probably be operating this fall. But even more important for the archive is the way it uses SGML markup. This subject requires some detailed comment. Structured as it is, in the Rossetti archive, the SGML markup functions as a relational database. It allows the user of the archive to navigate across the data in organized ways and performs many operations customarily associated with hypertext structures. But note that nothing of what you're about to see is visible to the user of the archive. The markup is hidden behind the so-called front end of the system. Nevertheless, it is what makes much of the system work. I'm going to be talking about now this kind of material here. SGML markup. SGML is the acronym for Standard Generalized Markup Language. It's a computer-based text markup system that standardizes the markup of electronic text with a set of defined tags that are embedded in the text to denote features of its physical appearance and or substantive content. Every document page of the archive will be SGML marked. But in addition, each integral document structure will have a specially designed SGML header. I know that's not clear yet, but I'll, I'll try to make it clear in a minute. These headers encode a large body of material and formal information. All this material in the handout is at pages 1 to 19, and I'm going to be moving through it in a minute. They not only permit search and analysis of the archive's documents by the index of header categories, they establish a mechanism for connecting various documents to each other and for other kinds of study. Four templates for these SGML headers have been designed and built in the initial year of the project, which is this past academic year. Three for the digitized text images, and one for the digitized paintings and drawings. Examples of each will help to explain how the SGML markup functions in the archives organization. In this case, the four examples I shall give all relate to the Blessed Damozel, which is the title of both a poem 
and a related picture by Dante Gabriel Rossetti. You might as well see the gorgeous Damazil when we're talking about her. Except this terrible picture of her. Uh, these are three different pictures of this is the Fog Museum oil painting and some grotesque. You hmm? reversed it. Oh, it's, so it is. Uh, color is dreadful. Uh, this is a uh, study for the head, the principal head, and this is a study for what is completely invisible, the kissing lovers in the heaven, or Rossetti's heaven. SGML markup is based in the so-called TEI guidelines for electronic text editing, TEI standing for Text Encoding Initiative. As the examples will indicate, the archive generally follows the TEI gu guidelines for text markup. But the examples also show that we have had to modify and extend the guidelines to suit the special needs of the archive and, in my opinion, of any uh, uh, really sophisticated uh, to come critical edition. In a TEI approach, structure is based on judgments about the content of the text. The archive follows TEI guidelines for marking up a content. But in the Rossetti archive, we are as much interested in the physical features of the documents as we are in their content. Content, uh, by, by that I mean sonnet, uh, thematic materials, iconic materials, historical materials of, that are alluded to, and that sort of thing, as opposed to size of paper, kind of paper, typeface, uh, watermarks, all those other physical features. So, we have added many tags to describe the physical character of the materials. Look at pages 15 to 19. Start on page 15. Actually, 16. The picture template, for example, treating as it does wholly iconic and visual materials is not TEI conformant. Nonetheless, it is constructed very much in the spirit of TEI. As for the textual materials, because so much of the archive is page-based, the markup system makes the organization and the physical description of the pages much more explicit than TEI ordinarily does. All right. Now let's go back to the beginning, page two. What we're going to start with are samples of four marked-up SGML templates for the archive in this order. A work template or what we call a RAW, R-A-W, that is Rossetti Archive Work. Two document templates, or what we call RADS, R-A-D, Rossetti Archive Documents, and a picture template, or what we call a RAP, that is a Rossetti Archive Picture. Two RADS, these are necessary for uh, uh, editing purposes, these, uh, uh, these electronic words. Uh, Two RADs are included here, and I'll be getting to them in a moment, in order to illustrate the markup of a printed document on one hand and of a manuscript on the other, and they're quite different. These templates, all four of them, are the editing structures we built out of the archives set of DTDs, or what I call document type definitions. You don't have to know about this, at least now. The templates allow us to mark up the archives materials for certain basic kinds of computerized search and analysis. Also included here are facsimiles taken from the computer screen uh, at the back of the uh, material that I've handed out of the text and pictorial documents connected with the markups that are provided for. So I'm going to explicate these templates. To facilitate this process, they've been hand-marked by me to call attention to specific tags that reveal some of the power of the SGML marking system for the purposes of building a critical edition. So first, the raw template, pages two to six. This is the SGML template for Rossetti's famous ballad, The Blessed Damozel. A raw, and I want you to pay attention a bit to this, is defined in the archive as the most general conceptual form of a particular textual work by Rossetti it is, in other words, the conceptual totality of all the particular documentary states that share the identity named the Blessed Damozel in the archive. So that those three texts of the Blessed Damozel that you saw a moment ago are, are individual documents, but if you conceptualize them all as a single thing, they are 
uh, all part of what we are calling the work, or in this particular case, the raw for the Rossetti, uh, for the Blessed Damozel. The, the raw is the place, therefore, for holding commentaries, references, annotations that apply to all the documentary states of a particular work, irrespective, uh, as opposed to the uh, templates that will hold these exactly the same kinds of structurally the same kinds of materials for particular documents. Now this raw is headed with a tagline identifying the work code of the work here 1-1847, the very first line. That work code is a key for establishing linkages between the work named the Blessed Damozel and the other documents and structures in the archive. Now just for your in case you haven't seen this sort of thing before, each angle bracketed unit marks a defined field or tagged item. The field or item is opened with a left angle bracket and closed with a right angle bracket preceded by a rightward slash mark. Um, the, uh, the closing of that opening line there doesn't happen until the very last line of the SGML markup because that opens the largest structural unit of the archive. The raw header does not get closed until much later. Note the tagline signaled A in the left margin. This tag, that is to say, left angle bracket DGR picture S244 DGR picture. This tag is a key for linking 1-1847, that is to say, the uh, work code for this particular work, including all of its subsidiary materials, for example, the two RAD or the two documents that we'll be looking at in a moment below, which are differently coded, with a DGR picture keyed S244, which references the Fogg Museum's oil painting of the Blessed Damozel. This picture is the wrap that we're going to be looking at in a moment. When these linkages are made, one can travel from one set of documents and materials to another and study them together. Here, for example, this linking key would permit one to see the Fogg Museum picture as one is also looking at a particular text of the ballot, and or to see at the same time related critical or editorial materials that are associated with the Fogg picture or with the textual materials. Now, pages two and three. Note the large unmarked field source, signaled here B at the beginning, in the margin. I say unmarked because if you look at that long section there, you will see a lot of tagged fields and zero substantive information in the fields. Um, the field here is unmarked because the archive defines source in a particular way. For example, for an example of a source field, we'll look at uh, the uh, wrap below in a moment. That is to say, the archive defines a source as uh, a particular work, whether text, painting, historical event, or whatever. But it must be quite specific and particular. If it isn't, it doesn't get marked up in the source field. And in this case, because the sources of the ballad are more loose and various, the matter of sources is handled in the discursive field named commentaries. And for that, see the tagline, signal C, beginning at the, page, the bottom of page 3 and running on to page 5, where you'll see an awful lot of materials uh, related to um, sources. Now see the field line notes signaled at the beginning D on page 5. This is in two large sections. Textual notes, here signaled E, and glosses signaled F on page 6. Okay? These traditional editorial materials are keyed to a basis text, which is here signaled with the sign G. You see this G on page 5? That is the basis text, basis ID 1-1881, first edition, which basically is telling us that the basis text for these kinds of analyses is going to be the 1881 edition of, uh, of the poems, the first edition of the 1881 edition. The raw is the place 
where the archive puts its editorial notes that analyze general textual variations as well as traditional kinds of glosses. Uh, for example, on page six, the traditional glosses are signaled under F, and they will be quite recognizable to you. I should say something about uh, the section signal E. That's completely unreadable to you, and it ought to be unreadable. Uh, the, um, none of that would ever be shown to a person. What that is there to do is to allow different texts of the Blessed Damozel, and there are a great many texts of the Blessed Damozel, to have their textual variations compared against the basis text of 1881. One final thing to note on this raw. See the area on page 4 signaled H in the right. Here are given several other of the archive's work codes for Rossetti's translations from Italian poets. You'll see there 3D slash 1861 or 165D slash 1861 or 184D slash 1861. These work codes are once again keys for connecting the materials of the Blessed Damozel with other related materials in the archive. Those work codes key one to their respective RAWs, as well as to all the related RADs that are conceptualized in the general RAW. That is to say, each one of these work codes here opens up to a field a whole set of related RAWs, RADs, and RAPs, including all of the information that is available through the gateways that are embedded in each one of those things. So you can see what starts to build up here is a vast network of potentially interrelated materials. Okay, let's go to the rad. Am I being followed? I'm not sure. Everything all right? Okay. The rad templates. Rad coded. This is start on page eight and nine. Rad coded 1, 1847 underscore 6 This rad marks up the text for the Blessed Damozel that appeared in 1856 in the Oxford and Cambridge magazine. So far as the archive is concerned, the locating document is the magazine in which the poem is printed. So, the initial information, or the field signaled A in the margin there, describes the magazine rather than the poem as such. The text of the poem begins to be marked up in the section of the rad headed body, C line signaled in the margin B, beginning on page 9 and running to page 12. What we have there is an SGML mark up text of the 56th edition of the Blessed Damozel. Line notes for the particular text here are provided for in the notes section for each page. And for this, see the several note lines in the body sexual, uh, section signal C in the margin. Uh, on page 9, for example, at the bottom, there is a note that applies specifically to this text. Though the periodical is printed in two columns, the poem is printed in single column centered. Comparisons of different texts of the Blessed Damozel, for example, of this text with the 1850 text printed in the germ, are managed through the comparative textual structure detailed in the textual line notes in the raw that we already saw earlier. Um, that is not managed in the markup on the particular documents. That's why one needs this raw document or work document in order to have a field or a territory in which comparative textual analyses of all the documentary materials can be carried out or executed. Okay, let's go to the next uh, template. This begins on page 13. Rad coded 11847 underscore Prince Frag. These are little, uh, their names are to help those who are editing this material to not lose their minds uh, in the vast array of detritus that is here. Uh, Prince Frag makes me think of Princeton and Fragment. There happens to be one fragment of this particular poem at Princeton. So it's called Prince Fragment. This rad marks up a fair printer's copy of stanza seven of the poem. 
Note here, section signaled A in the margin, bottom of page th uh, 13, running over to page 14. Many of these lines are not, as you can see, marked up. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, similar unmarked lines appear throughout these templates. If a field goes unmarked, it means one of two things. Either that there is no relevant information existing in the field for this particular work or document, or the information hasn't been gathered yet. Most likely the latter, given the state of this particular work, uh, the, this project at this point, is the case. So here, C field signaled C in the mar margin. Copy text. In this case, uh, that document is not yet known for certain. I'm not sure it will ever be known, to tell you the truth. That's uh, an inside Rossetti problem. Or see the field signaled D on page 14. In this case, a history of revision is irrelevant. The field signaled B on page 14 gives a searchable electronic text of the manuscript as well as certain other types of tagged information about this particular text. All right. Now let's go on to the wrap template. Page 16. A distinct wrap is prepared for every picture. In the case of the Blessed Damozel, for instance, two different oil paintings survive, and there is a large body of other pictures, some finished paintings, some finished drawings, some studies of various kinds. All share the same basic code number of the chief painting of the group as defined in Virginia Surtees' catalog of Rossetti's pictures, in this case, S244. Suffixes are added for the other pictures. For example, the painting known as Sancta Lilias, which is in the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, is coded, in case you care, S244CADD1. Note the field named Work Code and signaled A in the margin on page 16. This is the key linking the picture and its related archival materials to the archive's related textual materials. It corresponds to what you saw earlier, the GGR picture key in the first of the templates that we were looking at, the RAW, whereby one may navigate from the textual materials to the pictorial materials. Here, the key allows the navigation to go in the opposite direction. Page 17 and 18. Field signal B shows, in this case, that the source of this particular picture, you'll recall that in the archive defines source as a specific thing. Here we see that uh, the uh, source of the picture was specific in contrast to the situation that we were looking at in the raw above. A more specific reference can't be given as the source of the painting, however, as the absence of markup in the immediately following field line shows. On the other hand, see the field signaled C on page 17. Where a specific text is known and given as the source of the four stanzas written on the frame of the painting. This particular painting has uh, one of uh, Rossetti's uh, gorgeous uh, proto um, um, Art Nouveau uh, uh, decorated um, uh, frames and he often uh, wrote on these frames texts of the poems so he wrote texts of the poems in the pictures themselves this particular picture has a text of the poem and the that uh, field mark C there gives the information about the source of that particular text HTML markup operates in the archive but remains invisible to the user. What the user sees and works with are document facsimiles of all the archive's materials plus standard reading texts that give various notes, commentaries, and other critical materials. For example, this is Lady Lilith and what's hidden behind there uh, on, in another window is material from an article by Virginia Allen, which is a, an extended commentary on this particular picture. In the archive, these materials are uh, 
can be called up uh, simultaneously. The examples here are electronically generated facsimiles of several different screens of information. Now, I'm not going to belabor the kinds of materials stored in the archive, but one structural feature needs a bit of comment. This is the screen showing the window opening a Telnet connection to a rem remote archive and an example of a completed connection. Look at page 27 in your handout. Last page. The, uh, the window on the left is where you basically begin your movement through uh, the Telnet uh, network in order to arrive at what you are looking at on the right, uh, down below that is to say, which is the top of the Troxel collection in the Princeton uh, library. Uh, the Troxel collection is probably the greatest single um, Rossetti collection in the world. That can be managed uh, at the same time that you're using the archive. Similar windows will be available to put the reader in touch with important related electronic materials. For example, the online OED, the Bible, the works of Dante and Shakespeare, and so forth. So that when you get a gloss, for example, in the archive, say, uh, in the Buzz of Damozel, there are a number of uh, specific allusions to Dante and other Stil Novisti poets. Uh, typically, if you were using a critical edition in a book form, you'd go there and you would get a reference because the book really can't afford to give you more than that. Uh, but in the electronic archive, if you are linked, for example, to the complete works of Dante, what you would do is you would click on that, you'd get your gloss, it will give you the citation, and then you can go to another window and get the entirety of the text at the same time. So you're not held in check, as it were, by the, uh, by the book form. Final product and dissemination. The archive is, on the one hand, a general model for computerized editing and data management, and on the other, an edition or archive of Rossetti's works. The model can be freely, in both senses, adopted and adapted by anyone, and we hope it will be. Throughout the course of the project, we'll continue to disseminate to all interested scholars information about the archive and its innovative approach to editing. At this point in time, no one knows exactly how such an edition should be disseminated. Because of the unusual character of the archive, a database of digitized images, the method of distributing the final product is deliberately being left undecided. A number of important problems, some technical and some legal, have yet to be clearly addressed by the institutions most concerned with this kind of work. Nonetheless, the importance and usefulness of the archive, as well as its accessibility to those who will benefit from it, are not in doubt. Until a precise determination has been made about disseminating the actual Rossetti materials, the archive will be treated as a research project. Proceeding in this way allows us to carry on with the development of the theoretical structure and the computer tools without having to deal immediately with the vexed issue of copyright. We have, anyway, several years of work to do before we have to come to a decision on these matters. We see this period as an opportunity rather than a problem Better and cheaper storage and transfer mechanisms for digitized images will certainly be developed during the next few years, and the computers needed to run the archives programs will cost well under today's prices. Our workstations right now cost about $10,000. Uh, but as you know, prices on this kind of equipment drop precipitously every year. Actually, right now, if this archive were up and running, uh, any 486 uh, PC could uh, access it and use it. What you need in order to edit it or construct it is something like an R RS6000 or a workstation, uh, that kind. You, you need an expensive uh, set of equipment to make it exist, but you don't need an expensive set of equipment even now to use it. Informed textual scholars tell me uh, that uh, they are certain that today's expensive workstations will soon be widely available, like RISC 6000s, at quite reasonable prices. Furthermore, these workstations will 
and are already being widely distributed in the libraries and research archives used by students and scholars all over. In addition, the now problematic issues of copyright and users' fees will, I'm sure, be more clearly defined five years from now. Important projects involving electronic information and digitized graphic files are underway, and some are completed, like the Perseus Project, some are underway, like the Janus Project, several other important art image projects. As these projects advance, the guidelines for copyright and user fees get more standardized. We expect that the Rossetti Archive will itself contribute to this necessary and inevitable process. Two final matters, one institutional and operational, the other text theoretical. First of all, for those of you who are interested, this project is being developed at University of Virginia's recently founded Institute for Advanced Technology in Humanities. It is ex-Windows and Unix-based. Editors for the, prod for the uh, operations for the building of the archive are an XV graphics editor and Jove, which is a local uh, adaptation of Emacs, specially modified, plus WordPerfect 5 for Windows. Now, from a text-theoretical perspective, this project realizes an editorial model that I and some others have been supporting for about 10 years, an edition which does not organize itself around a central or base text, the once famous definitive or uh, uh, once famous definitive text or edition. That the project is an archive rather than an edition points to what I have in mind. The scholar using the archive chooses the text to be studied from all the available ones. Freed of the codex form, one faces the texts more as one faces the shelves of a library than as one faces the leaves of a book. The reading orientation is decentered. Of course, the user may choose to organize any particular study session around a central text. The point is that the archive will only constrain its textual conditions in ways that are called for by the user. Various structured operations are offered, and the materials have been filed and formally marked in particular ways. Nonetheless, the archive remains open to free search procedures chosen by the user, if always within the limits set by the original character of the materials themselves. The last thing I want to say is that the, the nature of this project is such that there's a sense in which, like a library and unlike a book, it is unfinishable. So that uh, myself or other people who are now involved in this uh, operation will die, but the archive will not die, and it will be added to, built in, modified, changed uh, in all sorts of ways, the way libraries change, but uh, will go on basically from the initial form as, as we're trying to imagine it now. And that's it. Thank you. likes to ask some questions. Yes. Uh, for reasons lost in antiquity, we do not do questions uh, in the Book Arts Press, oh, except over a glass of wine, which I better, expect better. many people here badly need. <laughs> Thank you very Were much. Were I that boring? Oh, no. <laughs> it's, uh, I think some people here feel a bit like a scribe who's just visited a printing press in 1465. 